welcome to the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences Residency Preparation Course Podcast. I'm your host, Karina Clemens. My doctorate is in education, and I'm the Assistant Dean for Medical Education at UAMS. Our guests today are Matt Spond, MD, Steve McKee, MD, and Charles Lavender, MD. Our discussion today centers on the theme of preparing and specifically on the topic of clinical skills preparation with a focus on the two articles, Len et al. Multi-Specialty Bootcamp Enhancing Student Confidence in Residency Preparation and the Core Entrustable Professional Activities for Entering Residency, abridged version from the AAMC. From your perspective, why is the topic of preparation for clinical skills and specifically doing that a year in advance important for medical students who will soon be transitioning to residency? Matt? Sure. Thanks, Karina. From my perspective as an anesthesiologist, I think you can't start early enough or aggressively enough with the process of moving through medical school on towards internship and residency. And that takes so many different dimensions not only in your own skills, but you'll become uh, the doctor in your patient's eyes. And they don't know that you're a brand new doctor. They just know that you're a doctor and that you went to four years of medical school and they expect you to have all the answers. You're also going to become a teacher, whether you realize it or not, to third year medical students and fourth year medical students. So I think there needs to be a much more um, elaborate and well-orchestrated transition from medical school through residency. And so I, I think it's a great idea. Steve? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna echo a lot of what, what Matt said as a, as a internal medicine hospitalist uh, and pediatrics hospitalist. Uh, a lot of what we see in that transition from the book learning to the clinical realm from even the first and second years of medical school to the third and fourth years of medical school is the transition between being more of a sort of sit back and the information comes to you type of learner to the um, figure out what information you need and go find it type of learner. And that's what the life of a clinician will be forever. Is that more a problem, you know, walks into your office or, you know, a patient with a problem walks in your office or into your OR or what have you. And, and then you have to figure out what information do I know? What information do I not know? And then where can I go to find it? And so I, I think that frame shift as much as we can make it clear to students and residents that that's what actually needs to happen, I think that that's helpful and sort of letting them know that. And then number two, the, like, like Matt said, as sooner we can get that transition started and sort of um, reinforce good habits in that transition, the better. And the other thing that I'll say, and I'm sure we'll go into this in more detail, but I think that it's really important that, that we talk about things like direct observation of clinical skills, uh, self-driven and specific motivation for learning certain skills and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's incredibly important topic and, and really for everybody at every stage, you know, we just happen to be talking about, about medical students going into residency. Thank you. Charles? Yeah, so as an um, internal medicine chief resident, then soon to be GI fellow, you know, I think from, from my perspective, I think that, that uh, you know, Matt and uh, Steve, you know, said everything very well, but I think like with any, you know, transition in life, it's, it's critical to, to formally prepare. And, you know, one would think that, that all of medical school from a first year to a second year to a third year and fourth year, that 
that it's simply a culmination of everything you've done and it's just the next stepping stone, but it's a, a completely different ball game and just, you know, exactly what they said, but one, you know, additional thing to focus on, you know, from my perspective and ties back into your clinical skills is, is really, you know, the concept of ownership, whereas a, a third and fourth year med student, you know, you're now thrown on the wards, but you're, you're kind of observing things and, you know, suggesting your own plan and, you know, assisting in surgery. But once you take that next step to being the, you know, the first year, the, the new intern, you know, you are the one in charge of that patient and, and really, you know, taking that, that role of ownership um, and, you know, having that, you know, being the, the guiding force with everything you're doing, you know, from taking a complete history and physical to, you know, how you're doing the procedures, speaking with family. Um, so I think that's one, one of the big, you know, points that, you know, you have to keep in the back of your mind as you're preparing all your clinical skills to make this sometimes difficult transition. The Lynn article, Multi-Specialty Bootcamp, Enhancing Student Confidence and Residency Prep, had also an interesting perspective and also had a chance to review the core and trustable professional activities for entering residency. Um, tell us a little bit more about what stood out to you as important takeaways related to those. Sure, I, I would say that in trustable professional activity number 10, that's the recognize the patient requiring urgent or emergent care and initiate evaluation and management is really what, what centers, you know, captures my heart. I, I like to talk and, and think and plan about low frequency, high acuity events, things that you don't get an email saying this is gonna happen like an earthquake, right? It just happens and you have to have a working game plan or before it happens and that's what we've, really pattern the rising intern preparation week scenarios around is these low frequency, high acuity events. And um, I, I think that it's important for new interns to remember that they're sort of like the vanguard of a much larger team. They have upper level residents and attendants behind them and they can't uh, lose sight of the fact that if they need to escalate, you know, making phone calls and so forth and getting some what I call adult help on the phone, that's what they need to do. It's not, a, it's not ever a sign of weakness to ask for help, it's a sign of intelligence. And so I really liked and trustful professional activity number 10. Yeah, I, I completely agree with him. Um, I'll comment on a, a separate one, but I, I think number 10, you know, that's, that's critically important. And as a day one intern, you know, your job is to recognize when something is not right and something needs to be done. It's not necessarily to know exactly what's wrong and what needs to be done. It's just purely to be able to recognize that, you know, this, you know, is a situation that requires escalation you know, and just basically the concept of sick versus not sick and, and being able to recognize the situation and not putting all the pressure on yourself to think of, you know, exactly what to do in that situation. The, the other one that I, that, that caught my eye, um, kind of coming from an internal medicine perspective was the prioritize a differential diagnosis following a clinical, clinical encounter. Um, and I think that's kind of at the, the heart of a, a lot of specialties, um, you know, of really, you know, being able to, to come up with a wide um, but accurate differential diagnoses, you know, really refining your ability to, to hear a patient's story, to, to formulate a, a problem representation in your head of what's going on with the patient and, and trying to match that up with kind of an, an illness script, you know, which basically I would think of as like a narrative structure um, in, in my head that I have for, for different types of presentations or diagnoses and, and trying to match the two up. Um, then, it, you know, additionally, for, for other common complaints, I think having, you know, some sort of schema um, in your head as to how to approach common complaints. So when you're called about someone that has altered mental status at, at 4.30 in the morning that you 
you have this kind of schema by which you approach it. You know, like a simple one for that is the MIS metabolic infectious structural toxin, you know, and have a schema for, you know, when a patient, when you're called for tachycardia, you know, exactly being able to draw out that algorithm. And I think that really takes away a, a lot of the, the anxiety provoking um, aspects of, of being on call um, as, a, as a baby intern, you know, just having a, a structured way in which you approach common issues. Yeah, I think those are all excellent points. And, and I'll sort of follow that theme that Charles mentioned. So anxiety is, is probably something that we neglected to mention on the first hand. So we all know how um, anxious we can be for good reason when we're coming up to these, these massive changes in our lives, whether it's entering medical school, entering residency, moving out of residency, residency into fellowship or independent practice. I mean, these are, these are humongous life events and we're all very anxious about it. You know, we show it in different ways, but um, you know, that's one thing that, that preparation can help with, right? So, you know, the more that we prepare on the front end, just like, you know, Matt said, these, these, I really like that terminology. I hadn't heard that before, but the, the low frequency, high acuity events, right? The more that you prepare, uh, then the, the better you're going to perform in those moments. Um, it, it's sort of like that old concept, you know, prepare for the worst, uh, but hope for the best. And, and so this concept of residency boot camp or residency preparation, or even just assessment of where a, a student or learner is, and then seeing out where they need to get before they transition to that next step, I think that can help a lot with the anxiety around that. So knowing what the clear expectations are for that next step can help with the anxiety moving up to that. The, the EPA that I'll point out um, is EPA 9, which is act as an integral member of, of an interprofessional team. And, and I remember as, an, as a medical student, you know, nurses may ask you something, but to be fair and honest, you rarely know the answer. And certainly most of the time, you may not feel empowered to answer it. Uh, you may not, you know, feel like you, you know if it's the right time or, or even who to ask. But when you take the pager, you're going to be the first point of contact for questions. So, you know, like Charles said, or, or Matt you know, was talking about, if your patient is having chest pain, your pager is going to go off or your cell phone, God willing, it'll be a cell phone. But, it, you know, if your device goes off and it's chest pain, you're the first person. And so how you react to that, um, how you interact with your nurses and your patient care techs, how you interact with your, your floor clerks um, makes a just a really big impact on, on not only your life and the other team members' lives, but, but even the care that the patients receive. And so you go from being sort of sitting on the bench, if you will, in terms of this interprofessional care to really being an important member of it. And then sort of going back to, to what um, one of you said earlier about becoming a teacher for the, the students or learners below you, you're role modeling how, how those learners should interact with their interprofessional team. So I, I think that that's a critically important one. Thank you. It's interesting that you brought up the, um, you brought up stress. And I thought about, there are probably many learners who will soon be transitioning to residency who are very stressed and wonder what would, how would you prioritize, this may be a two-part question actually, how would you prioritize high yield preparation related to clinical skills? And also how would you handle stress both while you are in the clinical setting and when you leave the clinical setting? 
Yeah, I think it's it's only natural um, hit this transition, you know, to to taking on this new role to have some anxiety and stress. And and if you don't, that's probably a problem. Um, and I think, you know, we, there's kind of like a, a spectrum where on one far end you have imposter syndrome and you're you're completely, you know, powerless. And on the other end, you know, there's some overconfident person with with hubris that's going to, you know, do things that are out of the scope of being a July intern. Um, but I think it's like critical to recognize that if you're feeling some anxiety or stress, you know, having this transition, that, that that's what you should be feeling. And it, it's really about how you deal with it. Um, you know, so I've had good mentors that have, you know, suggested to me, like, you know, when you're in the ICU and you're feeling anxious about, you know, taking care of, uh, you know, kind of watching over all these, you know, critically ill patients in the middle of the night to, to channel that into something, you know, to, to use that anxiety to, to remind you, you know, to to stick to that list, to check that troponin that's pending, to when you have a patient that has a wide complex tachycardia to go home that night um, and, you know, to, to learn about that, learn a schema that you can draw out the next time, you know, you encounter that. And, and I think it's just, I mean, the, the overall point is anxiety and stress going into the, this transition is something natural, um, but I, I think it's just important that you you know try to, to get in the Goldilocks middle of the imposter syndrome and, and hubris and really Use that to, you know, kind of give you the the power um, to to better yourself. And I think, you know, the the number one thing is, you know, when you're you know undergoing this new role to not lose scope um, of life in general, and that you need to you need to take care of yourself. Um, you need to sleep. You need to eat well. You need to, you know, continue having good relationships with your families and friends, and and do things you love outside of work. And if you you lose scope of that in the first couple of months, then it's it's not good for you and not good for patients. So. Uh, I think, you know, taking good care of yourself and, and really trying to channel the anxiety, the stress that you feel um, and, and use that as motivation um, to take better care of patients, to expand your knowledge and, and be better. I think that's very well said. I, I completely agree with a lot of everything that Charles said. Right? So it's Goldilocks. It took the words right out of my mouth. It's, it's a U-shaped curve. It's on, on one end, you've got paralysis. You can't move. You can't do anything. On the other end, you're just dangerously cavalier, cowboy, whatever you want to call it. There's there's a certain amount of stress that's in the middle, that's good, keeps you sharp. It's not overwhelming. It's not underwhelming. It is if you're if you're not stressed, you either don't know where you're at or you know, on one end of the spectrum, or you don't know where you're at, right? And you're an intern. And and I like what Charles said too about keep things, I think I heard him like say, kind of keep it to checklist, like he's using mnemonics and so forth. So that when the stuff's hitting the fan at 2 a.m. or 4 a.m. or whatever, you can algorithmically go through in a systematic fashion through some basic stuff. Uh, you don't want to miss anything easy. I, I think those are great points. And and I when I was a, uh, a graduating in four, I had an orthopedic intern who came back and talked to our entire class as part of what we had at the time. And he said, just keep your ACLS cards with you because he had to rotate off site at St. Vincent's and Baptist. And I was knew I was going to have to do the same thing to respond the codes in the middle of the night and if you keep your ACLS cards with you then you, you can't go wrong I mean you're just following the algorithm so yeah I think those are those are all awesome points the one addition that I'll make is is and this is hard because we always talk about know yourself and know where you're at and things like that but when you find that you are on that more paralyzed or um, unable to to function adequately point of the curve, 
that's when it's important to seek help. So in medical school and in residency, and even still now, I see a therapist twice a week. I think the world would be a better place if we all saw a therapist, honestly. But if there's any possibility at all that, that you are underperforming because of anxiety or because of depression or because of any illness, it's critically important for you, for the team, for the patient to, to just like we would say, make sure you get enough sleep, make sure you, you know, you, you eat right. It's critically important that you take care of yourself um, so that you can, you can do your best in the hospital so that you can learn your best, so that you can perform your best, so that you can be your best, the best doctor, the most compassionate doctor to your patients and things like that. So I think knowing where to go for those things is really, really important. When you're a new intern, you often have new health insurance. On the back of most health insurance cards, there's a number to call for mental health. Uh, most of the, the residency programs and uh, colleges of medicine have wellness centers attached uh, and have uh, crisis lines, things like that. You'll have access to an employee assistance program. So there's lots of places to look. I just think it's it's really, really important that that if you're unsure at all, that you reach out and, and see somebody and talk to somebody. You know, the best case scenario is that they say, hey, you know, what you're going through is totally normal. Um, here's my phone number. Call me again if you need me. Um, if you need more help than that, you know, there's everything from stepping off of the wards or rotations for, you know, a week or a month or, or whatever. And there's no shame at all in that. Um, so I think that that's, that's a really important thing. Um, just kind of knowing how to, how to care for yourself. And the other thing is knowing how to, how to, those are obviously things that you would probably do off of a shift, um, unless you're in crisis. But the other thing is knowing how to calm yourself down so that you can go back to those schema and knowing where to look for those schemas. So I had a place uh, in, in one of the stairwells um, near our GI floor because we had a bunch of patients with liver failure who were actively dying. And so I had a stairwell that I could go to where I could calm myself down, things were quieter, and then I would be able to look through the schemas. You know, I'd go to the website for clinical problem solvers or um, what have you up to date at that time, usually. And just knowing like, where can you go to calm yourself down? And, or even if it's not, where can you go? What can you do to calm yourself down? How can you get back to basics? And then also, um, like we've said before, you know, who do you call for help? If you're overwhelmed, it's, you don't want to try to hide that. You want to just, you know, look at your, your partners and say, Hey, I need help. Um, Thank you. There's some excellent strategies for, for our learners. In the few minutes that we have remaining, is there anything else that you might add from your perspective for medical students who are transitioning to residency related to preparation for clinical skills, the clinical environment, the experiences there? My, my two cents would be just to maximize your fourth year of medical school. It's it's very easy to kind of fall into uh, what a lot of folks do and just kind of start into a glide path, but just keep maintaining, you know, your learning curve the whole way through. Uh, it'll only help you. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the secret answer is that you never stop learning. I know it sounds cliche, but you never stop learning. You never want to stop learning. That's part of, if we're really honest, that's a big part of why we went into medicine, right? We're, we're all nerds and we all like to learn. And it's the absolute ultimate bottomless pit of learning. So keep learning all the way through medical school, all the way to the end. Yeah, I think the, the other side that I'll add to that is find your balance of doing that and 
rejuvenating yourself, whether that's listening to music, whether that's going to the beach, whether that's spending time with your family, do things that refill your cup, if you will, so that when you come in as an intern, you have both the knowledge and the resilience and the energy and really the sort of zest for life that, that allows you to perform at your best. So. Yeah, I completely agree with what uh, Matt and Steve just said. I think ultimately just, just taking it day by day, you know, people like the saying of like, how do you eat an elephant? And it's one bite at a time. And when I think about the attendings that I, you know, currently work with that are in their seventies, um, you know, they're the first people in rounds to say, I don't know um, to something. And they're the people that you ask them, like, if you want to know how to be great, it's, you know, read about something for 30 minutes every single day. Um, and, and to really just take things in small bites and know that it's going to be a, a long journey, the, the same way when you're on your first day as a first year medical student and you open up your anatomy lab book and you imagine that learning the, the three functions of the trapezius and what innervates it is the most overwhelming thing ever. And then a year later that you're able to, you know, explain cardiac conduction insanely well. So with everything, it's, it's a journey and just take it a day at a time, one bite at a time. Thank you. I love the analogy of the of the journey and perhaps as the three of you have mentioned, the destination is the experience of the continuous journey. Thank you to our guests today and our listeners. We hope you'll be able to join us for another episode of UMS's Residency Preparation Course podcast. Take care.